guys. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. So today we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to do some lighthearted things. We're also going to talk about some of the worst, some of the worst takes on the internet when it comes to 9-11 and the comparisons made between 9-11 and January 6th. It's just awful. So I'll give you my take on some of that, but we're also going to just do some random things. This is a more extemporaneous episode. Uh, We did an extra episode last week on Friday, what I called an emergency episode after Joe Biden's very ominous and strange and disturbing speech on Thursday talking about the vaccine mandate. So if you want to hear my take on that, go back and listen to Friday's episode. Also, if you want uh, an extremely compelling, um, uh, compelling, compelling story about 9-11, if you want to hear from a survivor of the 9-11 attacks, then you should go back and listen to Thursday's episode. I talked about, I talked to a survivor of the attack on the Pentagon on 9-11, and a lot of you have given me feedback about that, that you uh, loved that interview, that it was not just um, emotional in a sad way, but also in a very hopeful way, the way that he talked about what happened that day, but also the love that he has for this nation and the hope that he has for the future of this nation. So go back and listen to those two episodes. Uh, first, I, I want to talk about some of the takes that we saw this weekend on on social media. We'll also talk about that George W. Bush speech that a lot of people were talking about. So you probably remember what happened on January 6th. There was a riot of mostly Trump supporters. I don't think there's any evidence that there was this massive infiltration of left-wing agitators. But um, from what we can see, ostensibly, they were Trump supporters who decided to march on the Capitol. And unfortunately, there uh, was a lot of chaos. There was some violence. We have footage, of course, of uh, protesters trying to threaten and antagonize uh, police officers. And so it was an awful day, an awful thing to watch, an awful thing to hear about. Um, And so I am with everyone who believes that this was a very dark day in American history. What I cannot be on the same page with, what I cannot agree with, because I still am a sane person, is that it was in any way the same or comparable in any regard to 9-11. What we saw was a lot of chaos, a lot of anger fomenting, a lot of illegality, obviously, um, and a lot of what I think is evil. And I really detest the Christian symbolism that I saw being waved and used on January 6th in a way that doesn't represent anything close to actual Christianity. Um, But to say that January 6th, which a lot of people like to call an insurrection, do you know how many people have been charged with insurrection in connection to January 6th? Zero. Zero people. And a lot of people like to say that Donald Trump incited that, that he was the one that actually caused that. And while you can take issue with maybe some of his more aggressive language, and you can certainly take issue with a lot of his tweets and the doubts that he sowed leading up to January 6th, he also has not been charged with 
inciting violence. And so you can call it an insurrection. You can call it a coup or an attempted coup. You can try to blame Donald Trump for all of those things. But the fact of the matter is that people haven't actually been charged with incitement or insurrection. What it actually was was a riot. I think it was a detestable riot, but it was a riot. And because I uh, don't like rioting and I don't like that kind of violence, I can very evenly and I think equitably fairly say that was really bad. So were the riots that were caused, perpetuated by Black Lives Matter and Antifa for months on end in some parts of our country. Some people don't like that comparison, but Uh, I think they're extremely comparable. You can't say that while on the one hand, Black Lives Matter and Antifa were just fighting for for justice and that anger was justified. But the people over here, that anger wasn't justified. Whatever you think about the motivations of the people who perpetrated this kind of violence and chaos, the fact of the matter is, is that they both had the same means Um, and uh, they both wrought destruction and they both caused pain for innocent people, for innocent communities, especially on the BLM and Antifa side. I mean, they literally punished people who did nothing wrong in the name of justice. That's literally the definition of injustice. But I, even though I I hated what happened both on January 6th and what happened throughout the country when it came to arson and looting and murder and assault perpetuated by BLM and Antifa, neither one of these things was like 9-11. Neither one of these things was like 9-11. On 9-11, almost 3,000 Americans died because of a terrorist attack. 3,000. Do you know how many people died? On January 6th, one person, and she was actually, she was an unarmed person that was actually killed by a police officer. And so I don't see how this is in in any way close to what happened on 9-11, where almost 3,000 Americans died. And yet, because there is um, a group of the left, and I won't say everyone on the left, but because there are people on the left who truly despise Uh, their fellow countrymen who disagree with them politically more than they despise or resent al-Qaeda, more than they despise or resent the Taliban. Um, They truly see their fellow Americans as a bigger threat and more of a danger uh, to their safety than uh, these animalistic, rabid, uh, anti-American terrorist regimes. Um, They come up with the worst, worst takes in regards to 9-11 and January 6th. So here's um, uh, Pam Keith, who I don't really know what she is. She's just like, she's like the uh, whoever that left-wing Twitter agitator is, the Brooklyn dad or whatever, who says ridiculous things. They just say ridiculous, the most extreme hot takes in an effort to get retweets. And they have their, you know, they've got their blue checks. They've got a bunch of followers. So I'm not just picking like random people, although they do function as trolls. I don't even know if they're real people. They kind of seem like they're not real people. Um, But I think, unfortunately, they are. So this is 
Pam Keith, Esquire. Uh, on 1 6, 2021, 9 11, 2001, ceased being, this is just terrible syntax too, ceased being the worst thing that happened to America in my lifetime. It's really weird and painful to process and say that. Oh, boo hoo. It's, but it's the truth. And quite frankly, it's not even close. Really, it's not even close. It's not even, it's not even close. January 6th, where only one person died, and it was at the hands of the police, by the way, uh, where only one person died, that is far and away a bigger threat and worse than what happened on 9-11. Like, I think that once we get separated from something by 20 years, um, that it's hard for us to take ourselves back and remember what a horrible day that was. Now, I was only nine years old on 9-11, so I'm not pretending to to remember everything that happened. I didn't have all of the same emotions that other people did who could fully process and understand what was going on. But I do remember that day. I remember the days after that day. I remember my parents talking about it and obviously have learned a lot about what happened on 9-11 since then. Um, And uh, the idea that anyone could say that it's anywhere close to what happened on January 6th is literally insane. That could only happen if you have a brain worms that have built a nest in your mind and have caused you to only churn out insane thoughts. And here's the thing about these kinds of comparisons, because Pam Keith was not the only person to make this comparison. No one actually explained why. No one explained why January 6th is worse than 9-11. Like, no one gave us any numbers. No one explicated that in any way. No one even tried to demonstrate that. Really, the only reason they think that is because they actually hate Republicans more than they hate terrorists. And I think they see them as one and the same, honestly. Uh, Brainworms, brainworms. Okay, here's another. Jen M. Jackson, Ph.D., On Twitter, she did this long Twitter thread. Um, We have to be more honest about what 9-11 was and what it wasn't. It was an attack on the heteropatriarchal capitalistic system that America relies upon to wrangle other countries into passivity. It was an attack on the systems many white Americans fight to protect. And so it almost sounds like she's pro 9-11, does it not? Does it not kind of sound like she is saying, you know what, we got what was coming for us and we deserved it. And basically, Al-Qaeda attacked the very system that she says that she stands against as well. You know, I saw some other takes like this, um, basically saying that America deserved this, that we had been interfering in other countries for so long and we had been so prideful and so arrogant that this is just exactly what we deserved. You can take issue with Americans, uh, with America's foreign policy over the years. There are certainly things that I take issue with. You can be anti-interventionist. You can say, you know, America did some bad things abroad and has done some things. We've destabilized certain regions. Okay, that can be your perspective. That can be your take without saying that 3,000 Americans deserve to die and that maybe even it sounds like what she's implying that this was actually a good thing that she is on the side of Al-Qaeda. I mean, these people, this is a professor, by the way, these people are who um, are, are who are, are teaching your children 
at universities. And I guarantee you there are probably some teachers in grade school who agree with this uh, with this take. Um, so it was an attack on the heteropatriarchal capitalistic systems. That's what 9-11 was, she says, that America relies upon to wrangle other countries into passivity. Does she think that Islam is anything other than heteropatriarchal? Like, are there a bunch of queer feminists running around in Afghanistan telling people what to do? Is that the system in the Middle East? Like, you think that the issue that al-Qaeda and the Taliban have with the United States is heterosexuality and the patriarchy? Like, you understand that in majority Muslim countries that gay people are actually getting pushed off the roof, that they are being murdered, that they're being executed because of their professed sexual orientation. Like, you understand that that's what's happening, that there's not, like, a queer liberation feminist going on in the Middle East, that probably Al-Qaeda, when they were hijacking the planes, weren't thinking, you know, this is, this is for feminism, this is for the matriarchy, this is for LGBTQ plus movement. Like, that's not what went on. But this is unfortunately what intersectionality does to your brain. It forces you to be unable to see things as they actually are. And this also ties into this whole critical race theory idea that America, white people, bad, the rest of the non-Western, non-white world is good. And so you have to fit it into that framework some somehow. And this is one of the, the weirdest, one of the strangest parts of the left to me. The tolerant left, the progressive left, professing progressive and tolerant left, the pro-equality, pro-equity, pro-woman left. That's all the things that they claim to be. Their relentless defense of radical Islam. It's so strange to me. It is one of the most, one of the most, maybe not the most, but one of the most contradictory, confusing parts of leftist ideology. Now, it makes sense, again, when you think about things like critical race theory, that in its crudest form, its simplest form, basically says white America West bad everything else good. Uh, white America West oppressors, everyone else is the oppressed. And w again, when that is your lens, when that is your framework, then every story that involves those two groups um, somehow has to fit into that narrative. And so somehow that allows you to say that Al-Qaeda, that radical Islamist terrorists were against the heteropatriarchy. Like, that's what it causes you to do. That's why it's so damaging for people who have this kind of worldview, because it truly is a worldview. It's almost like a religion. They just kind of repeat dogma without actually having to explain it. That's why it's so dangerous for these people to be forming impressionable minds. Now, I am all for this Jen M. Jackson PhD. It's always the people with the letters in their in their Twitter handles. It's always the people that have to put like their title in their Twitter handles who also always have their pronouns in their bio. It's always these people coming up with the worst takes. But I am all for the pronoun police and the alphabet gang 
having their free speech. I am. Like, I am for her being able to live in the United States to be able to say this without fear of punishment. I am for bad, terrible, dangerous ideas like this being allowed in the public square. And then I am also for people coming along with better ideas and better speech and just absolutely ratioing this person into oblivion. That's what I'm for. Unfortunately, something like this, this radical, absolutely anti-intellectual, ahistorical take, um, people on the left are totally fine with this. I would say in general, not to say that she has no left-wing critics at all, um, but the same people that are for a take like this being in the public square and being able to gain legitimacy in any way are against people on the other side um, having their own opinions, good and bad, or being able to publicly articulate uh, those terrible opinions. That's why you have those people saying, you know, it's fine that the Taliban is on Twitter and Trump is not on Twitter um, because they uh, they are just not for, they can't advocate for, they can't give permission to, they can't be okay with right-wing positions and right-wing opinions um, having any air or uh, being publicized in any way. That's that's the difference, I would say. That's one big difference between the left and the right is that I am for bad ideas being out there and us being able to take them down. The left in general is not for bad ideas or things that they perceive as bad ideas and bad speech being out in public and being able to take them down with their own better ideas and their own better speech. They are for silencing, they are for censoring, they are for shutting down and bullying, and they are going to elevate someone like Jen Jackson and Pam Keith, who have terrible, dangerous, awful, offensive speech being given some kind of position of um, influence. Uh, Now, I want to get to another bad take, and this time by the former president, President George W. Bush, in um, a 20th anniversary speech that he gave. And I'll get to that in just one second. But first, I got to tell you guys about my first sponsor for the day. That is Annie's Kit Clubs. Annie's Kit Clubs are a creative and great way to enjoy your favorite hobbies without the hassle. Every month, Annie's Kit Clubs sends you a new shipment with all the instructions and special supplies you need to make something. Annie's Kit Clubs have an amazing selection to choose from. There's crocheting, there's knitting, there's card making, jewelry making, quilting, sewing, even general crafting clubs that sends you some of everything. If you're like me and you're not a very artistic, crafty person, then Annie's Kit Clubs is a great option for you because they really make it easy. You don't have to go to the craft store and hunt around for all the different things that you need. You don't have to, you know, watch some YouTube video to make sure that you're doing the thing correctly. They make sure that you have all the supplies, all the instructions that you need. And at the end of it, you look like you're actually an artistic and crafty person, even if you're not. Making things with your hands is so good for you. It's therapeutic. It's stress relieving. They also have clubs for kids so you can get the whole family crafting together. Go to annieskitclubs.com slash save 50% on your first kit. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie to save 50% on your first kit. annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. All right, let me play you a little clip from George Bush's um, speech that he gave on 9-11. 
And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. All right. So I agree with him, obviously, in some ways. I mean, I agree that all violent extremists are born of the same spirit in general. Um, I agree that the conclusion of all kinds of violent extremism is the same. And therefore, no matter the reason for violent extremism, it has to be condemned. It has to be combated, whether it's on our soil or whether it's abroad. That's true. But what people, uh, how people read into this, I mean, I made a joke that, of course, a lot of people on the left got got mad at when I said, oh, I'm so glad that he's, you know, he's calling out BLM and Antifa. And they were like, no, he's calling out January 6th, which I think is true. I think they're right that he is trying to call out January 6th. But again, it's not the same. This is such a terrible comparison. It is not the same at all. And, you know, actually, this mentality is what got us into the mess that we are in, that regime, uh, uh, that administration after administration in the United States has gotten the gotten it wrong when it comes to why there are terrorist attacks coming from the Islamic world into the United States or even there. It's not just because people are violent. It's not just because they're angry. It's not because they resent the United States, although all of those things might be true. It is because of theology. It is because they are religiously, theologically, ideologically motivated to do what they do. That is why the Middle East has been um, characterized by terror, by violence, by unrest, by oppression, pretty much its whole existence. Those things weren't started by the United States or the West. That has been the characterization that has been true of that part of the world for a very long time. Does that mean all people who identify as Muslims uh, perpetuate that kind of violence or believe in that kind of violence? No, I don't think so at all. But the organizations, um, the sects of Islam that are running the show there absolutely do. And they are not just motivated by, you know, their own selfish desire for power. Uh, they are not just motivated by misogyny or any other kind of secular explanation for why they do the things that they do. They are theologically, religiously, doctrinally motivated by all of it. And we have been naive. There's been, you know, two different kind of secularist schools of thought, I would say, on the right and the left when it comes to terrorism in the Middle East. And one that is kind of the more right wing mentality that if we just introduce them to democracy, if we just introduce them to freedom, if we introduce them to equity and equality and gender studies, then they will finally realize that our way of life is better and they will abandon their fundamentalist Islam, uh, Islamic beliefs. And they will, you know, they'll just build democracy there. Now, that was true when it came to somewhere like imperial 
Japan. Um, but that's because Japan doesn't have and did not have the same ideology and the same religion, the same theological motivations as the Middle East does when it comes to radical Islam. And so this more neoconservative belief that we, if we just export democracy to the world, it's the same thing that Ronald Reagan, one of my favorite presidents, but he erroneously believed that if we exported democracy and capitalism to somewhere like China, they'll embrace freedom and they'll become more like the United States. That didn't happen. They just took advantage of uh, of world trade and they became capitalistic in some ways, but they continued to uh, repress and oppress their people, and they do to this day. So that didn't happen. We actually allowed China to then import some of uh, their, you know, autocratic ideas, communistic ideas to the United States. We thought the same thing uh, when it came to the Middle East. We thought that we were going to be able to export freedom. We were going to be able to export liberty and democracy and capitalism. They would embrace it, and um, everything would be hunky-dory that obviously hasn't happened and that that all came crashing down uh when we saw the disaster in afghanistan a couple weeks ago and that's actually still ongoing even though biden would like us to believe that it's not and then you have the more kind of left-wing secular belief that i think is also secular and erroneous that um if america just leaves them alone and they'll be peaceful and they'll be happy and they will end up, you know, uh, you know, embracing equity and equality and human rights and these things because they believe that America has actually been the instigator of violence. And if we just allow them to, you know, live how they want to live, then they will um, embrace peace. And it's actually American imperialism that has made that region unstable, that America and the West has actually caused that unrest. Well, that is also not true. That's also not true. The fact of the matter is, is that that region, as long as it is Islamic, is never going to have the same kind of order that we have in the West. It's never going to have the same kind of rule of law that we have in the West. And you can think that that's fine, that we should just, you know, allow them to do what they want to do and realize that it's not going to change just because we have, you know, a capitalist evangelist go over there and try to tell them how great the free market and women's rights are. You can just try to embrace that um, or you can try to do what we failed to do over the past 20 plus years, which is basically make it into some kind of imitation of the West and the Middle East. I just don't think that is ever going to be accomplished. And how this um, how this goes back to George W. Bush's speech is that he actually thinks that all violent extremists have the same kind of worldview, the same kind of mentality. And so he and a bunch of people on the left here think it's totally fine to compare people on January 6th to the Islamic terrorists in the Middle East. They're not the same because they don't have the same motivations. And because one is theologically motivated, and I would argue that the other... Well, every I mean, maybe you could argue that the people on January 6th were somewhat theologically motivated in some strange and convoluted way, but not 
in the same uniform way that I would say Islamic terrorists are. Um, but because I, I think George W. Bush is secular and I think he's got that secular neoconservative mentality um, that rejects the fact that Islamic terrorists are motivated by fundamentalist Islam. And therefore, they're not the same as uh, as people here, even the ones who actually do pose a threat of extremism. So it's his kind of secular, faulty mentality that led to a lot of the disastrous foreign policy that we've seen over the past few decades in the United States. And that's why I mean, that's part of why theology matters. Understanding not just what we believe as Christians and why we believe what we believe, understanding also the principles that America was founded on, what ideas and ideals we were founded on, uh, why the West is the way it is, why the East is the way that it is, uh, what kind of theological presuppositions uh, founded each region, and what kind of fruit that has borne. All of that is very important. If you are going to try to understand why things happened, um, and I think it's important for us to understand why things happened, because our understanding the why actually dictates both our domestic and our foreign policy. But in a more superficial way, I think that George W. Bush is just kind of playing into um, playing into the left hand with all of this. I do think that Democrats in the United States are using this narrative that the biggest threat uh, to our safety, the biggest threat to public health and the biggest threats to our well-being and unity as a country um, are the people that voted for Donald Trump. Uh, I think that they are using that to try to get as much control as possible, trying to stoke as much fear as possible so they can present themselves as the solution to all of our problems by, you know, going after the people that those on the left don't like and view as a threat. I think that was really what was behind the whole um the unvaccinated speech that Biden gave on Thursday. I think that's why they're constantly talking about January 6th to try to pretend that um, really are the biggest thing that you should fear are the people who live next door who happen to vote for Donald Trump. At the same time, they're trying to say that they want to unify. They don't want to unify. Like, can we not just simultaneously say, hey, what happened on January 6th was bad. Here's what I didn't like about it. What happened on 9-11 was worse because we had this many people die and they're totally different situations with different threats and different motivations. Can we not just have a rational conversation about those things without conflating things that actually make us sound really dumb and very morally stupid as well, not just intellectually dull? Um, unfortunately, I think social media plays into this very sad and what I think is a very damaging conflation. All right. I've got a little bit more to talk about um, in regards to that. But first, I want to tell you guys about my second sponsor. That is Start Mail. Uh, free email services like Gmail and Yahoo aren't really free. If you didn't know, you actually pay with your privacy. So they take the data from your email. Um, they, you know, read through your emails. They get all the data they can possibly get, and they sell it to third parties. That's how they make money. You are actually you're not the client, you're not the customer, you are actually the product, and so that's how you're able to use uh, services like 
Gmail for free. But Startmail keeps email private. Every email can be encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. So when you delete an email in Startmail, unlike on those other services, uh, you actually delete it. It's gone forever. Startmail also uses its own servers, not Amazon servers. A lot of people use Amazon servers, but that means since they have their own server, they're not going to be kicked off. They're not going to be put out of business like Parler was. Switching to Startmail is seamless. You can easily transfer all your current email data. So there's not, you know, there's no starting from scratch. You don't have to worry about that. They're backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. They've got lots of features that protect your identity, that protect your information. They're not selling any of your information. Um, because they actually charge you for the service. It's very affordable, but because they're charging you for the service, you're not paying in your privacy, which I think is a worthy exchange. Your cybersecurity has never been more at risk. Email snoops and scammers are taking advantage of the pandemic as phishing has skyrocketed in the last year. Take control of your privacy with Startmail before it's too late. Sign up today. You'll get 50% off your first year by going to startmail.com slash That's Startmail with T S T A R T mail.com slash Allie for 50% off your first year. Startmail.com slash Allie. All right. So this happened at um, Washington University in St. Louis. So YAF every year, wherever there is a YAF chapter at at a college, the YAF chapter there um, puts the same number of small American flags as Americans who died on 9-11, 2,977. That's the flag display they do. Obviously, it's a reminder of what happened, the sacrifices that were made on that day. Um, and there was a student by the name... Um, by the name of Fidel Alkalani, who decided that he was going to take almost 3,000 of these uh, of these American flags and put them in trash bags. He was actually filmed doing this. And uh, he said that he wasn't sorry for this, that it wasn't a violation of school rules. Um, and that he, you know, he made this announcement on Instagram that basically he was fighting against Islamophobia and he was fighting against American imperialism. So here you go again with that left wing worldview um, that basically says America has been the cause of all suffering in the world and that we can't even recognize the lives that were lost on 9-11 because somehow that is celebrating American imperialism. It's really disgusting. It's really disgusting. Just the lack of empathy that this kind of progressive worldview causes you to have towards lives that were lost because you think that you're fighting some valiant battle against American imperialism. You're not. You're not. I mean, this guy thinks that he is courageous, that he's on the front lines of this battle while uh, literally taking honor away or trying to take honor away from people who were actually courageous, who were actually on the front lines, saving people from smoldering towers and um, and the rubble. And unfortunately, this is the sorry excuse for courageous men that our university system seems to be churning out. Now, thankfully, there were many displays, many demonstrations um, of respect throughout 
throughout the country, thanks to YAF. They put a lot of um, effort into, um, you know, publicizing their displays every year. And there are a lot of students who are involved in it, which is amazing because a lot of these students weren't even alive on 9-11. And it's important that we have this reminder, especially on college campuses um, every year of what happened. As I talked about on Instagram, as we talked about last week, and it's so important to pass this down no matter what you think about the foreign policy that followed 9-11, um, it's an important reminder that freedom isn't free. It's a, an important reminder of what courage looks like. It's also an important reminder that freedom is always just one generation away from extinction. And there are people in the world who really hate liberty um, and they really hate that freedom and they'll do anything to destroy that freedom. It's also a good reminder that there's real good and there's real evil. Objective evil exists in the world. It's not all just some uh, scheme uh, about the you know, white hetero imperialistic patriarchy versus everyone else. That kind of worldview just doesn't check out. It's not factual. So it's an important reminder that moral relativism is um, a, a terrible, a terrible worldview. All right. Uh, that's all I have to say about um, all of that. There are some good things I think that happened over the weekend that I've seen happen over the past couple weekends. And that is that stadiums across the country are full of cheering and maskless fans. I love to see it. I love to see that with all the fear mongering that is going on, on uh, in the news as it has for the past year and a half with Biden's very, uh, you know, intimidating speech or an attempt to be an intimidating speech with Dr. Fauci saying that even if you are double vaccinated, even if you are planning on getting the booster shot, even if you are wearing two masks, you still basically need to stay at home and social distance even when you're outside and all this ridiculous stuff that has no basis in science whatsoever, even with people saying that we should mask kids and force 12 year olds to get the vaccine even though the data on that is iffy at best, if not just very, very bad. Um, you have people who aren't paying attention to them and certainly are not heeding their advice. Now, I think this is a wonderful thing. It's not because I you know, want people to get sick and die. I certainly don't. But I do want people to make their own decisions based on their own medical needs and maybe the medical needs of the people that are closest to them who are vulnerable. I mean, maybe all of the people in those stadiums are vaccinated. Probably not everyone. There's certainly most people were not wearing masks and people have just decided, look, I've got to move on. I've got to live my life. And you absolutely do. And, you know, my husband and I were kind of debating about this or we were talking about whether or not um, he wants to watch these NFL games because, um, you know, he's a conservative like me and we hate the politicization of all of these sports. We hate the stands that the NFL and the MLB have taken just, you know, anti-American woke stances that are just totally out of line with their fans. And on the one hand, you want to say, okay, look, we just need to boycott. We need to boycott those companies, and we need to not give them our viewership because uh, we need to show them that you know you're going to lose customers if you make those kinds of stance. And that is a compelling argument. On the other hand, you can see that the communistic goal is to try to ruin and corrupt and take away everything that brings people joy, everything that brings people together. 
And so you are also at the same time kind of letting them win if you say, okay, I'm going to give up all all my forms of pleasure, all my forms of leisure, like watching sports, um, because I don't want to support uh, the left wing agenda. Well, then you're sad (laughs) and then you're kind of miserable. Um, And so what is the better pushback? Is it enjoying these things that bring people together and make people happy and flouting the rules that have been set by Biden and Fauci to just stay inside and stay sad until, you know, some unforeseen date when we have zero cases of COVID? Or is it to boycott all of these things um, and to say, you know, I'm not going to be a part of this at all because they're taking stands that I disagree with. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know the answer to it. Um, but I don't know. Like when NFL games are giving you, you know, a, a form of community and a source of happiness. And when it's been a year that has been characterized by misery and isolation, um, it's kind of nice to have that. It's kind of nice to, I don't know, have that relief from um, all of the, I don't know, depression that uh, we've been hearing from the news and all the fear that we've been hearing by the unelected bureaucrats at the NIH and the CDC for the past year and a half. Um, And so I don't know. I like to see the stadiums full, even the NFL games. I like to see people enjoying their lives and making their own decisions and just not listening uh, to the people in charge, Um, especially Joe Biden, because he thinks that he has all of the power in the world. And no matter Uh, who the president is, whether it's Republican or Democrat, I think that they need to have a much, much, much smaller, less significant place in our lives, a much smaller place of authority in all of our lives. Um, So good on you. If you are going to football games and you are doing the things that you want to do to live life and to get back to some kind of sense of normalcy. I feel like that's what we really need to be doing. Now, before I end the show, I got to tell you about my last sponsor for the day. That is Good Ranchers. So I was going to cook Good Ranchers last night. I was going to, I started thawing some chicken. And then my husband was like, do you really want to cook? You just cleaned the kitchen, which was true. I cleaned the kitchen yesterday afternoon. He was like, do you really want to cook? And so I didn't cook my Good Ranchers chicken last night. We ended up ordering food. But typically, on a typical night, I am cooking Good Ranchers. I am, well, my husband will cook the steaks, but I'll cook the ground beef or I'll cook the chicken. There's pre-marinated chicken. There's non-pre-marinated chicken. So depending, like tonight, I will probably cook the chicken that I thawed last night that I just put in the refrigerator. I'll probably make some, like, I think I have the ingredients for like some kind of fried rice Asian meal. So I'll probably use the chicken to do that. But I love Good Ranchers because it just makes our life easy. All of the beef and chicken that I want shows up at our front door. It's individually packaged. It's vacuum sealed. I put it all in this big freezer that we have in our laundry room. And then when I'm ready to cook it, um, I've got it all right there. 
just got to thaw it out and it's good to go. Or you can grill it as soon as it gets to your front door. That works too. Um, it's better than organic chicken. It's craft beef. The great thing about it is that it's 100% um, American. It's from American farms. You're supporting American farmers. These are farmers that the people at Good Ranchers have traveled around the country to meet personally. So they're guaranteeing that you've got sustainably sourced ethically raised, high quality meat. That's why I trust Good Ranchers. I love this company so much. And that's why I am always so excited to offer you guys um, a discount. If you go to goodranchers.com slash Allie, you get an additional $20 off and free express shipping. That is in addition to the 20% that you would save on each box if you go ahead and subscribe and get a box of Good Ranchers every month. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie or use code Allie for an additional $20 off and free express shipping. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie or use code Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right, going to close this out with a fun segment. So on the way here, I talked to my mom who only lives like 10 minutes from me and yet I talk to her on the phone or or in person. But when I don't see her in person, I talk to her on the phone like every day, just about random stuff. This morning I was like, hey, what do you think my dreams mean? Kind of kidding. She doesn't fancy herself like a, you know, professional dream interpreter or anything like that. But, you know, sometimes dreams mean things, I think, and sometimes they don't. Like, and when I say they mean things, I mean, it maybe says that you're like stressed out about something. So I've been having these different kinds of, of, uh, perpetual dreams, repetitive dreams. One of them is that I'm flying. And I've had this dream, I think, for a long time. And I never really took note of it that I had been having this dream. But so we used to have in the house that I grew up in, we had this big backyard that went up like a hill. And I keep having a dream that I am like running up the hill and taking off and exerting a lot of energy to get up in the air. I guess with my arms, I don't know, like, like flapping my arms like wings. And then once I'm in the air, it's kind of like I'm hang gliding. And I'm just having this thought, like I'm looking down at the earth. I'm just having this thought, like, why don't other people do this? Is this like, is this magic? Like what's going on? This is really not that hard, but I don't feel like it's that remarkable that I'm doing it. And I'm just kind of like looking down over the earth. I don't even know what I'm really thinking, but I've had this dream multiple times. and There doesn't really seem to be a purpose in any of it. Um, and then this other dream that I'm having, and I don't know that they're connected, but I've been having this dream a lot recently that um, I'm like 36 weeks pregnant and I just like totally haven't prepared or planned at all. Like I'm about to have this baby. Last night I had a dream, 36 weeks pregnant. And I was like, oh, my, you know, I need to find an OB. I haven't even found a doctor to deliver this baby. Why haven't I done that? Will a doctor take me at 36 weeks? I've been having this dream perpetually and I'm like texting, who knows who I'm texting in my dream, but I'm like texting to try to figure out what doctor I should be getting at 36 weeks pregnant. So if you want to tell me what you think those dreams mean, would love to hear. But really, I want to hear, um, I want to hear some of your strange repetitive dreams that you have had or have been having. Now, not super weird, guys, not super weird dreams, but just some, you know, like flying dreams, things like that. Um, and I will tell you what I what I think they mean, but you have to call me. So this is not a message. This is a voicemail that I want you guys to leave. Now, if you don't want other people to hear this voicemail, 
Do not leave me a voicemail. You are telling me that you want this voicemail to be public if you send me this voicemail. Uh, you don't have to necessarily, you know, leave your first and last name or anything, but here's the number 682-503-1369. That's 682-503-1369. Call me. Tell me the strange dream that you're having, or you can tell me what you think my flying dream means or my dream that I'm about to give birth and I don't even have a doctor to deliver my baby yet. So you can give me your interpretation of those dreams. Uh, you can also tell me uh, your the, the repetitive dreams that you have been having. I love dreams. They're super interesting to me. Um, so that'll be a segment either that we do on the show at some point or I'll do like a separate video. I'll post it on Instagram and we'll talk about that. All right. That's all I've got for today. We will be back here tomorrow. I'll see you guys then. <laughs>